I'm just really feeling the weight of the goodness of God this morning. Um, I don't really know how to communicate that to you, and I'm afraid maybe that even my sermon won't communicate that to you, because I'm feeling it in my spirit that I don't know where you guys are with the Lord. And He's burdened me to proclaim a gospel that's going to offend many of you. And it's going to offend you because we, we serve a holy God. And we are not. And so he's just been burning me as I stand back there and, and I sing. And yes, these are, are great songs and there's truths about these songs. But, but my burden is that you don't know the half of the truth that we're singing. That it's only a song or that it's only an idea or it's only a, a concept. And this has nothing to do with what I plan to preach today, but God's just burdened me that you would not just know about God, but that you would fellowship with Him. Amen. This is what He calls us to. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. Beyond my comprehension, and that's where my language just fails. It fails. And so we're going to go to God's Word. We're going to talk about some things today. But I want you to know that the things I am talking about is a living God. A resurrected God who has overcome sin and death. Okay? It's not a, an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not on par with all the other religions and philosophies out there right now. It is on par with none. Because he reigns over. Not beside. Okay? He reigns over it. And so we look to him, and we're going to go to his word, and we're going to see him there, I pray. And I pray that when we walk out, when the singing stops, that our praising doesn't, because he is worthy. Tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock, when you're feeling like, man, I just want this workday to be over, he is still worthy of praise, right? His praise does not dwindle because our emotions don't feel it. He is worthy and he is, he is glorious always. More than we can think or imagine, actually his praise is even there. Right? He's able to do that and that causes us to mind blow, right? He is worthy so that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to continue talking about Lent. We've been talking about Lent the last couple of weeks. Lent as a, as a season, right? I, and we talked about this, for those of you who weren't here, maybe the first week. Lent is a season of the church calendar. There are some denominations that would require the practice of Lent. We don't do that at all. But I, I want to share with you what Lent is so that you might see the beauty in it. You might take the time to focus on what we do in, in Lent, and that is the sufferings of Christ. We don't forget the sufferings of Christ. There is victory coming. Easter Day, we will celebrate victory. But before that, we also want to remember the sufferings. We want to remember the, the trials. We want to remember the temptations of Christ. So that when we look to him on Easter, we see a God who has borne our, our burdens, who has been tempted in every way just as we have. He's not a high priest that's been 
removed from the, the temptations we have. He went through them and yet lived perfectly and holy. And so we want to spend the time there looking at that as well. We talked about that last week as well, that we, we are to be willing to suffer with Christ. This isn't a martyrdom of the Islam faith where if you were to put yourself out there and die that you're guaranteed anything. That's not what this is. But a willingness to, as, as Romans tells us, to lay down our lives, to be a living sacrifice. That's what this calls to, a continued living sacrifice. And if you remember last week, we talked about this marketing tagline of the gospel. You remember what it was, anybody? Three words. Remember, anybody? Oh, come on. I remember the negative one. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It was three words. It was come, die, live. Right? Come, die, live. That's what God calls us to, to come to him, to die to ourselves, and then he gives us life. And I want to clarify again this week, and, and this is, this is going to be clarified over and over again. For if you're here any amount of time, it's going to be clarified over and over again because this is the heart of the gospel. I want to clarify this, that this marketing slogan, I don't want you to, I want to be careful that you don't hear this as me saying, this is the way that you earn merit with God. Okay? It isn't. It isn't at all. The gospel is not about a list of things you need to do or to not do. The gospel, the good news is about what Jesus has done. The gospel is done. The law, which leads to death, is due. Does that make sense? The gospel, is, this, uh, the gospel is this is what has been done. The law, which leads to death, is self-righteousness, is this is what i got to do. So I, don't, I want to be clear in, in separating those two. Every other religion, every man-made religion in this world, starts with this premise that you are essentially good and you just need to do something to make you better. And it's in our minds, it's in our culture, it's in our hearts, that sounds good to us. Whether it be rules or ceremonies or sacraments or good deeds, uh, whatever it may be, the sentiment is, you're pretty good, but let's make sure you're good enough to make it. And here's a list of how to do that. This is not the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not that. And if I'm real honest, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, that wouldn't be good news anyways. It's not good news at all. That you're a pretty good person already, and we just need to fix you up a little bit. Do you feel the burden of that? Oh, I got to fix my, okay. Well then, some days I'm going to be able to do that, some days I'm not. So if you catch me on a good day, all right. There's a burden to that. There's a, there's a, there's a weight that you can't, you can't express, you can't get past. And because I know myself, and although I may, may look good on the outside, and may come across as a guy who's got his stuff all together, I'm broken. I'm sinful. I've had, I have thoughts that will rage out of control if God does not refine me. My heart even if my exterior can hide that the, the things that my heart would want me to do apart from Christ, my heart, apart from Christ, will lead me to worship anything but Christ. That's what your heart does as well. 
The sinful heart wants to worship anything but Christ. It's what scripture calls the old man. That sin nature that's inside of you and inside of me, that makes us spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus Christ has overcome the only things that you are able to offer him. The only things that you are able to offer him. What can you and I offer Christ? You and I, because of our deadness, the only things we have to offer him are sin and death. That's all we have. That's all we're able to do. And because he is holy, because he is perfect, because he is infinite, he can't accept that. And so there's this truth about you and about me. We are unacceptable to God. You hear that? We are unacceptable to God. And there's, there's, in my mind, there's two kind of main camps of, of folks here today. Folks that know that and folks that don't. People who say, yes, God have mercy, for I am a sinner. And then there's those who say, well, I'm not really that bad once you get to know me. I'm definitely not as bad as that guy. Problem is, is that you and I are judged not according to that guy. We're judged according to this infinite, perfect, and holy God that we talked about earlier. He is the measuring stick. His holiness. And those of us who get this understanding of our unacceptability to God, those of us who say, yeah, God, I'm a sinner, one of our tendencies is that we tend to think we're too far too messed up, too sinful for God to ever love. We don't have a problem of seeing too small of a gap between us and God. Our problem is the the gap is so immense, so huge that we can't see across it. And we're pretty sure there is no God over there that will be able to save us either. So we're both in a predicament, one without hope and one without need. One without hope and one without need. But then there are these two words in Scripture that turn this whole thing upside down. But God. Right? But God. He steps in and through Christ, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, God steps in and through Christ pays your sin debt. The debt that you have racked up because of your unacceptability. All right? Our unacceptability to a, to a holy God is sin. We rack up a debt of sin. And the Bible says that none can pay. None can pay. Because we don't even have the currency to pay. Because the currency is holiness. So we don't even have it. So Christ overcomes sin by dying on the cross, and when he does that, he takes away its power. (coughs) Christ overcomes death by raising on the third day, proving it, proving it. And we will celebrate that specifically in a couple weeks. But he proved that he had power over sin and death by raising from the dead. 
And then, then he invites us in to this relationship by faith. By faith. So does he invite us in because now we're acceptable? It's a good question. Are now our unacceptable things that we already said are who we are, are they now acceptable? No. Bear with me. We're still unacceptable. He does it out of grace-filled love. Okay? Christ does not come off the cross Victor, victor over sin and death and say, okay, now you guys are acceptable. No, he says, the sacrifice of my son is acceptable. The holiness of Christ is acceptable. And if you by faith will walk in Christ, then he gives his righteousness to you. You are still unacceptable. I am still unacceptable. And this sounds like terrible news. Doesn't it? This sounds like terrible news. But this is the righteousness of Christ. The word is imputed. It is given to, put on you. And so tomorrow at three in the afternoon when Levi and I are having a bad day, we can say it's okay because this hour, this minute is not based on my righteousness that I am in Christ. It is based on the righteousness of Christ. And he is not unholy at this minute. He is always holy and always good. We are still unacceptable. And this is God's love to us. Grace-filled love. And when we come unacceptable, but by faith, okay, unacceptable, but by faith, this in his ability to welcome us in, that's when he imputes, he puts on his righteousness on us. And then, in God's eyes, okay, in God's eyes, which since he is the only righteous judge, his eyes are the only thing that matters, by God's eyes, in God's eyes, you and I are seen as having the righteousness of Christ. You hear that? The righteousness, the perfection of the Son of God. You and I are seen as having that when by faith we trust in Christ. And then we can make our stuff acceptable, right? No! One more! No! We don't just rely on Christ for salvation, okay? Yes, we do rely on Christ for salvation, but not just salvation. We rely on him throughout our life to keep us saved and to make us more like Christ. This is called sanctification, where he makes us more like Christ. What was started by grace must be, must be continued by grace. This is the first, first chapter of Galatians. Why would you think that by grace I came into Christ and now Thanks, God, I've got your grace. I can do it on my own. That's not at all it. It's not at all it. Christ says, I will give you my righteousness for salvation. You will continue in my righteousness for sanctification, for becoming more like me. What was started by grace must be continued by grace. Amen. So why am I confident today that if I collapse and die right here, I will be with him? 
Is it because he's given me the grace to do a lot of cool things? And now, by his grace, I've earned my way into heaven? You hear the subtlety of the lie there? It's subtle. It's grace that saves me, and it's grace that keeps me. That is the gospel. And that gets me back to the beginning. Where I asked about this, this tagline, this, this three-word tagline, this come, die, and live. What is that then? If it's not, Ryan, if it's not working for my salvation, it's not something that I do to earn the, the favor of God, then what is it? It's a response to grace. It's a response to the grace that God has extended to you. There is this grace, that the term is prevenient grace. This is this grace that God offers to you when you have nothing to offer and would not even if you had it. Prevenient grace. It's before. It's before. That word pre, that, pre, uh, that pretext, for, before. Before you could ever say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Before any of that, God extends his grace to you. This response, not a work, but response. And this response comes from both of those camps that we talked about earlier. We acknowledge that God has shown us our need. Remember I said earlier, there's two camps. One that, that doesn't see the need of a Savior, and the one that doesn't have the hope of the Savior. I see a need for it, but I, I can't imagine that there would be someone that great that would do that. So we have those two camps, and, the, and this is good news for both of those camps. We acknowledge that God has shown us our need for a Savior, and we also admit that God is the only one who can save, and that Jesus has accomplished it on the cross. Again, not because of my worthiness, not because of your worthiness, but in spite of our unworthiness. In spite of our unworthiness. His love has pursued you. If you are here today and you know Christ, or if you are here today and you're feeling the weight of God telling you that, that he is all in all, he is worth it, he is the one that, that you are waiting for and need. If you are here today then his, and have that, have that sense, then his love has pursued you and it welcomes you in no matter, no matter how bad you are. And in humble response to that love, in a humble response to that love, we say, yes, we will submit to you. We will give up our lives for you because, as Scripture describes it, you are a treasure worth everything. Yeah. <coughs> worth selling all that we own to gain. You, Christ, have done all the work. You paid our debt. You draw us to yourself. You keep us. You change us. Praise the name of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That whole picture, that whole picture is what we must approach Scripture with. So as we learn together how to grow deeper in our walks with Christ, as individuals, as well as a body, we must never lose focus that Christ is the Alpha and Omega beginning and end of this story. It begins with him 
and it ends with him. He is the focus of Scripture, not us. Not us. He is the focus of Scripture. But Scripture is for us in a way that it shows us Christ, that we may praise him and glory in him all the more. Yes, there is instruction, but generally it's for the believer. It's for those who are already trusting in Christ. But it is also the glory of Christ to a world that does not know this guy. It's this instruction, the light, the light of the truth that already exists. So that's why we come to Scripture. With all that as a background, I'll just don't warm up, right? That's all background. This beautiful story of Christ redeeming his people for the sake and the glory of God. And we get to share in that. And from that, we say, okay, this God is amazing. This God is glorious. And are you telling me that this God has revealed himself to me in his word? Are you telling me that the God who created the whole world has revealed himself to me so that I might know him more? And that's why we go to his word. Because that's what this is. I've always heard... Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's really not at all what this is. This is the story of Christ. This is the story of Christ. And we want to share in that and glory in that. We're going to be reading this morning in Psalms. Psalms chapter 25. have your Bible, read along with me. You're, you're, I'm reading on the ESV. Yours may be a little different, but Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love that we sang about this morning. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, 
and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my death, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. O Lord. The moments like these where I just I stand back and just want to push you to the forefront. There's so many times I, I try to step beside you or step in front of you. And Lord, then you remind me that what in the world would I have to offer these people apart from your word and your spirit? So God, be glorified in this today. Yes, I pray, give me words to speak, truth to speak from your word and by your spirit. Lord, and then open the ears of all of us, Lord, of all of us, that we would hear the truth of who you are and that we would leave this place in awe of this great God and that it would bring us to our knees and to say, what have I, <laughs> what am I? I'm just dust, wind. But you are a great and mighty God and you have redeemed your people. So God, we look to you today. We pray that you would have your way, that you would do the work that I know I can't do, and that is to persuade the hearts of men and women that they are in need. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to have to cut a couple things out here, folks. And I will try to do that. What is waiting for the Lord? We have that command a couple times, or not, not as a command, but we're told David is telling us that he does that as something that he does. He waits for the Lord here in Psalm 25, and it's throughout Scripture waiting for the Lord. See, it mostly in Psalms, mostly in Psalms, and, and it makes sense because the Psalms are David and others crying out to the Lord, right? In times of, of, of joy, in times of sorrow, in times of near death, in times of victory and fear, all right? So the Psalms are where, where we get most of that emotion, most of that emotion of the human life, and yet it's full of doctrine. It's full of this understanding of who God is. So what is waiting on the Lord? David refers to it in a couple of different ways. We're going to talk about those as we look through Psalm 25. First thing we see is that in Psalm 25 that, there, that, God is, that David is waiting for salvation from the Lord. 
that in waiting for the Lord, he is waiting for his salvation. Verse 5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Waiting for God because he is my salvation. David knows here that God is, is the only one who will be able to save. The only one who will be able to save. Going back to the gospel, this is David acknowledging that God is the only way to be free. The only way. Verse 6 here says, remember, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. This is David's plea of this gospel again, that would you deliver us? Remember your mercy, O God. This isn't, hey, God, remember how awesome I am. This is remember your mercy. Remember your mercy that you would be our salvation. Remember when you said you would deliver us. Remember, God, that we are your people. And David certainly isn't the only one to do this. Right? This is, this is Abraham. This is, in my mind, foremost, this is Moses. Right? Moses is always interceding for the people of Israel when they're stubborn or when they're going another way. This is, this is Moses saying, God, remember, oh God. Remember. Remember, we are your people. This happens throughout Scripture. Now, this is not because God has forgotten. Right? This isn't remember you know, God, I know you tend to forget things. You know, this isn't like my wife remember, reminding me, all right? And when my wife reminds me, it's because I have forgotten or will soon forget, all right? This is, this is reminding a holy God is remember, but it's not a reminding in that sense. David is not saying that in, a, in, a, in an irreverent tone where he says, hey, you know, don't forget, we're down here, all right? That's not what this is. It's a plea. It's a plea in hope that God will uphold his side of the covenant, even though we have blown it, even though Israel, in this case, has blown it. See, that's where David is. He says, and he knows, man, I have really blown it. I have sinned against you. But he's coming to God and he's saying, but you have done nothing wrong. You aren't a man. You will uphold your covenant. I have broken my word, but your word stands. And so I wait. I wait for your coming. I wait for your promises. I wait for your promised salvation. And we also wait. We wait for Christ to come again. When he comes again, he will rule as king in the new heavens and the new earth. And we know that we can't hurry him or, or force him against his will. And so we, we must wait. We wait for that time where he will come again. And the scripture says that he will judge the living and the dead according to their deeds. We wait for that. David also is waiting in hope. You see, we tend to think of waiting on a, on a linear scale. All right? So this is God's promise that he's going to do this is where I am right now, and then this is all the waiting time in between. Okay? Well, it certainly is an aspect of that, yes. That's not, that, well, that's what I would have talked about in, in point one there, is that, God, you have promised salvation, and we're just waiting for it. We're just waiting for it. But it's not always on a linear scale. Most, in fact, 
of the times where it says we wait on the Lord in Scripture. It's not a linear scale as much as it is an attitude of waiting. The heart that waits on the Lord. The heart of waiting. And as much as we struggle with this timeline thing, right, of that's, that's what's promised, but how do I get there? All this time in between us. We struggle with that. But I think much more and much more to our peril, this attitude of waiting is something we don't do well. I know I don't always do well. You see, Psalm 25 is a prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It starts off right at the beginning. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. It's directed to God. It's lifting up a prayer to him. And this is how the waiting is manifested in David here. And if you look down through Psalm, you see his reason for waiting, for lifting up his soul to the Lord. Verse 5 again, as he asks, he asks God to make known his ways and to teach him. He's already standing on what he knows about God. Okay? This, is what I, this is what I'm talking about, where when we look at Scripture, we come from all that that I started with. We have to look at Scripture that way. And it's the same way here. David is, is giving his plea to the Lord, already standing on what he knows of God, what he knows of his salvation. Then the next few verses, listen to what else David says about God. He says, he is merciful. He's having steadfast love. His goodness and his steadfast love. Verse 8 says, he is good and upright, instructing sinners. Okay, so David's plea to God is, is coming from his knowledge of who God is. His prayers are not out of ignorance, but out of knowledge of the character of God. The character of God. This attitude of waiting, this heart of waiting, comes from a trust in who God is. Who God is. Now, although I'm contrasting this with our first point that we talked about, of this, this linear waiting, I don't think that you can have one apart from the other. Okay? Don't think that you can have one apart from the other. So what I'm saying is this is are you really going to wait for the promises of God if you don't believe that God is a promise keeper? Are you really going to say, I've got a promise and I'm waiting for God to fulfill that promise? And are you really going to wait if you don't know God to be loving? If you don't know that God is the word is immutable, unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That his promises are, as we sang this morning, in Christ, yes and amen. Are you really going to wait on the linear scale, on the timeline scale, if you're not knowing who he is and that he is able to bring about the thing you're waiting for? Right? And so we have to have this heart of waiting to match up with the linear waiting, the waiting just in time. Billions around the world have this kind of waiting. The kind of waiting where they, they, they're waiting for something they think is coming, but on what authority? Right? On what authority? Their own. Their own. So some people have these crazy stories. I've heard some really interesting stories about what they think will happen at the end when they die. 
But the only authority they have for that promise that they're waiting for, the only authority they have that would make them long for that promise, is just themselves. Just in their, their own understanding of how things are going to happen at the end. Our hope is in Christ and who He's revealed Himself to be in His Word. And this is what He's revealed Himself to be. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether in earth or on heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the Christ that we have our confidence in. Amen. We look at his character. We look at his glory, his strength, his track record. And by God's grace, we see, yes, he is able to be trusted with my all, my everything. And so we wait in hope of his acting. And that because of who he is. Know your God, church. Know your God. He has revealed himself. Know your God. Last point, maybe. He waits when it's hard. That's right. He waits when it's hard, okay? Let's go to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. If you have your Bibles, turn to 130. It's just a short little, little chapter. Psalm 130. And the heading in my Bible is, My soul waits for the Lord. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, should mark in O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. All his iniquities. The first line of this is, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths. This is where our waiting is practiced most of the time. Isn't it? in the depths, in the struggles, in the trials. If you look at most of the occurrences of, of this where David says that he is waiting on the Lord, it is also in difficult times. Waiting during good times is difficult as well, but we really tend to grow in our waiting through the hard times. And that's because 
We see our utter helplessness in those times, don't we? Don't we see our helplessness in those times? Where God, I know I have nothing that I can attribute to this situation on my own. Right? Don't we, don't we have to acknowledge that? God, I, when, when we are in our depths, we just say, God, I, I can't get myself out of this. So Psalm 25, oh, to you, Lord, I, I cry out. My soul cries out. This is where we come and say, God, I am not able, but you are. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is David preaching to himself. This is David preaching to himself. When my heart feels, my heart fears, and I feel like giving up or just taking matters into my own hands, no, Brian, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Take courage and wait for the Lord. It is better to wait for the Lord than to act presumptuously, right? Than to, than to, to think I've got the better idea. It is better to wait for the Lord. He sees every angle, every detail of the situation. Wait on him. Seek him. This is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. It's also Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? This is that message routine, routinely we're reminded of. Preach yourself these truths, church. If you know these truths, if you can amen them here, preach, themselves, preach them to yourself during the week so that you would be remind, reminded of them. Waiting on the Lord is difficult. We don't do it well. Individually, we don't do it well, and culturally, we do not do it well. Waiting, period. And one reason is because when we wait, what is our main goal? When you are waiting in line at the BMV, what is your main goal in waiting while you are there? Yes, to get to the BMV initially, but in the waiting, what are you trying to do? Get out of there. Get out of there, yeah. Or in the waiting, if you have to wait, don't we just distract ourselves with other stuff? Don't we just distract ourselves and say, I'm just going to make less of the waiting that I am doing right now by distracting myself from what I'm waiting for. And that's the exact opposite of what Christ is calling us to do. Okay? He says, in the waiting, don't focus. Don't get distracted. Focus on the end. Focus on what is coming. Focus on the promises that I have given. Right? That's the waiting that Christ calls his children to do is to wait in anticipation of. And that in the waiting, to not be distracted by other things, by half-truths or by things that are just going to pass away. So we're not to sit and stare up at the sky, though, right? And just say, you know what? He's coming. I believe it. He's coming, right? There is a, there is a movement to be had. So as we talk, as we work, as we play, we do it intentionally and purposefully that others would know and believe and look forward to the same thing that I'm looking forward to. Christ reigning. 
This is Tim. This is 1 Corinthians 10.30 or 31, right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, whatsoever you do, do it for what? The glory of God. Right? But the continual reminders in Scripture, the continual reminders in Scripture are there because we do not tend towards this. This is not something that we do by natural instinct. We get distracted with this right here. Even though we know in our heads we're going for this back here. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves that this here will pass away. And that the God who has promised here has given me strength to get through all this. It's difficult at times. I might have to cut that one out. No, I'm not going to cut that out. So there's two main camps in my mind again. Two, kind of two camps of, of, uh, of, of where we go with this. Okay, And I know this because this is my wife and I. We're each in a separate camp. There's one camp, I won't tell you who it is, but there is one camp that says, okay, waiting, I can do waiting. I will wait, I will wait, and I will wait. And I'm going to tell you right now that it is not the waiting that the Lord is calling us to, my kind of waiting. The waiting I do is very unproductive. Right? Where we do this, okay, I'll wait. But while I'm here, I might as well do something else or you know, occupy myself in some way or whatever. And there's this weight that's unproductive. It's not, it's not working towards the goal the, to, to, to the end any. It's not serving any purpose of, of refining me between now and the end. And that's my tendency. That's, my, that's that flesh in me that says, yeah, just sit, wait back. Just chill out, Netflix and chill, right, or whatever. Sitting back and, and just, just relax, right? Because you can't do anything to hurry God up anyway, so you might as well just relax. And that's wrong, all right? I want to make that clear. All right? That's the wrong, wrong attitude, but that's my heart. But then there's the other side. It says, you're darn right it's wrong. You got to be working. <laughs> right? We got things to do. Right? You got to move, 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 move. And those people have been waiting for me to say, yeah, Ryan, you got to tell them we're not just waiting on the Lord. We got things to do. Right? We feel that. I, 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 some of you I see in the eyes. Yeah, that's me. I busted. Right? <laughs> right? So there's these kind of two, two tensions, two things we do with this waiting. We either draw it out and it becomes unfruitful or, we, or we, we say, you know what? I don't really have to wait. I have to do. And the tension is there because in the middle is the beautiful thing. And for those of you, uh, I've got a scripture for those of you who aren't like me. So for me, I've got scriptures too, but I'm not going to share those today. For those of you who aren't like me, listen to Isaiah 64.4. It says, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Okay? And really in both camps, I address that to the one, but really in both of those mindsets, this is the promise. That God acts for those who wait on him. Okay? This is not, I want to clear this up right now, this is not God helps those who help themselves. That is not biblical. Okay? That is not biblical. This is biblical. Isaiah 64, it says, God acts for those who wait on him. That is the work that we are to do, waiting on God. So both of those camps have their right parts, right? There is a working in the waiting. Psalm 62, 5 helps us with this. It says, for, for God alone, O my soul, 
Wait in silence, for my hope is in him, is from him. So what do we do? We go back to the first two phrases of Psalm 25 that say, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. As we are waiting for our coming king, we must wait well. In prayer, trusting in who God is. That's those first two phrases of Psalm 25. Prayer, because I am trusting in who you are. And so we pray, Lord, make known to me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. We want to know you, God. We want to know you so that we can wait in hope. So why did I choose this as a Lent season sermon? A Lent season. Where I've been saying for the last two weeks that Lent is remembering the sufferings of Christ. How does this fit in? Well, waiting is not suffering, okay? Waiting is not suffering, but waiting is self-denial. Remember last week we talked about this, the come, die, live, that we talk, and we talked about deny yourself and take up the cross, this self-denial. This is what waiting is. Remember, we are, we are setting aside our timeline. We are setting aside our understanding, which is so below God's. And we are denying ourselves and looking to Christ. Waiting on the Lord, in this come, die, and live tagline, waiting on the Lord is found in the die part of that tagline. It's found in the die part. <clears throat> waiting on the Lord is trusting in who he is, not in what I can do. Waiting is done in hope. Waiting is done us, right? We walk by faith, not by sight, right? Waiting is found in the dying, but there is also life in the waiting as well. There is life in the waiting. Waiting on the Lord is where we exercise this faith that God has given us. Okay, that is where we put it to the test, is where we exercise it. So who are you waiting on today? Who are you waiting on? Who are you calling on? Who are you seeking after? Who are you learning from or being taught by? In your troubles, who do you revert to for wisdom? God says, seek my face. God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. He is the God of our salvation. He is worth the waiting. He is worth the waiting. This is the God we serve. Not just able to make a promise, but able to keep a promise. Wait on the Lord. Seek him. He has revealed himself, church. Don't neglect the word. Don't neglect it. Know who you're waiting for. Glorious. We're going to pray, but I'm going to start my prayer with part of a psalm. I believe it's 37. I've got to write it down. Uh, but this is, this is the prayer, a prayer of David as well. And we're going to start, I'm going to start my prayer with this. 
because of if it was good enough for David, we're going to pray it as well. But, but not just as a rote re recitation, okay? Hear the heart of David in this, right? And pray along with me as we, as we pray. Let's bow our heads. Lord, hear, O Lord. When I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you, o you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. God, this word... comes from the heart of David, Lord, but it is, it is true of me as well. And I pray that it is true for others, Lord, that when, when we find ourselves in desperate need of deliverance, in desperate need of being brought out of something, Lord, that we would look to you not just as an escape, not that we would just say, oh God, you're my salvation, so will you bring me out of this and get me out of this? but that along the way and, and, and beyond the, the, the escape, Lord, that you would teach me your ways, that I would learn from you, that you would, as your word says, that you forgive the sinners, teach the sinners, instruct the sinners, Lord, that we may know not just, not just freedom, but who has set us free. Lord, you have called us this amazing thing of calling us into your presence, into this holy of holies where we can not just know of you, but we can know you, we can commune with you because of what you have done. And Father, as we look to Easter in a couple of weeks, as we look to celebrating, yes, that, that glorious victory, Lord, would you allow us in this time between to spend wrestling with what God has really done for us. Why you needed the victory in the first place. Victory over what? And that we would see your love not just in the cross, but in the obedience to even go to the cross. Lord, that you are not a high priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses, can't sympathize with our, te our, our uh, temptations. But God, you have seen. Your word says that you are El Roy, the God who sees. You see our hearts. You see our lives. The things that we walk in, the things that we struggle with, you see them and you say, freedom. I have freedom for you. Come. Come to me. Freedom is found in me. This yes and amen that we sang about earlier. That's just not yes and amen for that's yes and amen for those who are in Christ. That is where Christ is where our promises are founded. 
and where they are assured because of the work that you have done on the cross. Overcoming sin, overcoming death, and by the power of God, freeing your people. So God, I just want to take a minute to just thank you for that. Lord, in my heart and my mind, and I pray that those who, who don't know this hope, this just sounds so, so bogus, so crazy that we would even talk like this. Lord, I pray that you would, by your gentle love, invade those spaces where we say, no, there's no one that can fill this space. There's no one that can heal this space. There's no one that can, that can take this from me. God, would you in your mercy take those things that lead to death and nail them to the cross in Christ. That we rejoice in the hope of Christ. Not just for today, not just for the small or the things that are in front of us, but for from here until we meet you in heaven. That you have already conquered the things in our way. So we look to you, God. Teach us. Teach us more who you are. Lord, teach us to love you more. Teach us how to come into your presence so that we would know the beauty of our Creator. And that the things of this world, again, would just grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. Do your work now, Lord. 